Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober, covering lifestyles in the world of real food. With the Wise Traditions Conference in Kansas City, Missouri taking place this weekend, I continue my speaker series interviewing those who will be talking at the conference. My guest today is Natalie B. Natalie is a beekeeper who owns BeMindful.com, where she manages around 400 colonies in multiple counties surrounding Austin, Texas. She's also involved with the American Beekeeping Journal, the National Beekeeping Corner on the High Jive Podcast, and various beekeeping organizations in Texas. Natalie, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me here, and it's a pleasure to be here. And it's wonderful to have you on. I'm really enjoying doing this whole Wise Tradition speaker series. Like another one of my guests, you also do a podcast, so I like to bring this up. I think it must be interesting now to be on the other end of the microphone. Yes, that's absolutely true, especially because it's a little bit different. We're doing audio only here in the Hive Drive. We do both video and audio, so it's a little bit different format, and I'm used to (laughs) basically staring at my face in the video, and this is a little bit different. But I'm really excited. I love your podcast, and I think that this is a very interesting series, so I'm glad to be here. Oh, well, thank you. I'm glad to have you here, and I'm very proud of this series and specifically to have you on. You do a lot with the beekeeping community. I just gave an abridged version on the website for the conference that says all of the things that you've been involved with is a lot, and I appreciate that you can take your time out considering all that you're involved with to come on here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the bees keep me quite busy most of (laughs) all, (laughs) but the weather is changing. I'm here in Texas and the weather is getting cooler. It's been really hot this summer, above 105 for like basically two months with no rain. And so now that the weather is cooling off in the morning, I have more time to catch up with admin, admin tasks, which I was trying to take care of the bees and making sure that they were safe and fed which was a little tricky because the droughts brings down a dearth and dearth is basically a lack of forage so they were at a vulnerable state and we had to take care of them oh wow and i love all of the puns that you do so i'm going to say that i'm glad that you can be here yeah (laughs) yeah we can get a little crazy with the beat puns and it's just been a pleasure to see everybody jump on the bandwagon with that did you know there's even a new (laughs) beekeeper movie with Jason Statham, I'm like, I think everybody is in on the beekeeping these days. Oh, wow. I didn't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very fashionable these days, I guess. People care. And that's great because the honeybees, but also the native pollinators, the native bees need a little help from us. And so it's great to see this mobilization from that standpoint. But yeah, I do a whole lot of things other than the bees themselves wish to keep me busy. I'm preparing for my journeyman level of the Master Beekeeper Program with Texas Apiary Inspection Service. So I feel like I'm back in school and I'm basing out of a couple of directorships for the Real Texas Honey And I was with the Texas Beekeepers Association for a while. So that was keeping me busy. But I'm pivoting. I'm doing different things. I want to really focus on community outreach and spreading the word on natural beekeeping as well as horizontal frameless beekeeping, something that's more bee-centric than traditional conventional ways of keeping bees. 
Yes. So lots of different ways that you're involved with bees, and I'm sure it's a matter of prioritizing which ones you want to keep with. Let's move back a little bit and talk about how you first got involved with beekeeping. Oh, that's interesting. So it really all started many years ago. <laughs> I was eight years old and I wrote a report on the dense communication of the honeybees in the hive and it fascinated me. And I just had that in the back of my mind. And fast forward many, many years later, after I started a job in corporate, I realized that I was wanting to circle back and do the bees and got myself one beehive. It was a warrior hive, which it used to be called the people's hive. And it's basically a very bee-centric, vertical, but frameless hive that I set up in my yard in the spring. And I didn't really do anything with it other than observe the bees. And for three years, I was just enjoying their presence. And I started being fascinated by much more than their dance communication. There's so much to learn about bees. It just becomes a little bit of an addiction, especially somebody that loves learning, that's always been an eternal student. The way they optimize their systems, the way they work together, the complexity of their organization and their communication via pheromones and dancing and all kinds of things just quickly gets very addictive. And so I started going to all the beekeeping clubs around. There were actually only two here around Austin, the Travis County Beekeepers Association and the Austin Area Beekeepers Association. And I didn't want to take advantage of my bees. I wanted them to be in the most natural possible environment, still being in a box in my yard. And that's how I started this whole journey. But I was listening to a whole lot of beekeepers in those traditional organizations that were mentioning the necessity to use pesticides, in particular miticides, in your hives. And I realized that 90% or so of beekeepers out there in the United States, commercial and backyard beekeepers included, were using those pesticides in their hives to control the levels of damaging mites. And I couldn't resolve myself to put pesticides in my beehives for a couple reasons. First, for the bees' sake, because it takes a toll on the bees. And I wanted to be mindful of the plight of the bees themselves. I couldn't understand why I would want to put pesticides in the colony of insects. But also I didn't want to um, contaminate my honey if I were to ever harvest any and consume it. I didn't want to think there was any kind of residue in it or anything like that. So I started researching, but also realized that I had had my colony for about three years. And what I had been told is that if I didn't treat them, they would die. And it was not the case. It was thriving. It was absolutely exploding. It was beautiful. And so learning is excellent in all kinds of contexts. So I kept going to those clubs. But what I did is I created my own natural treatment-free beekeeping association, the Hayes County Beekeepers Association, about almost six years ago. And it actually became the most prominent beekeepers association around Austin where Travis County is no longer with us and Austin area has got very small meetings now, about 10 to 15, when we have regularly 100 or so people and the membership is exploding. So that's a testament, in my opinion, there's, it speaks to people and to beekeepers. There's a need for more natural beekeeping around. And with that, I got addicted. That first colony, I became a hoarder of colonies. And I wanted to try all kinds of beehives and see what made the most sense. And fast forward to today, like you said, I manage about 400 colonies in 45 different yards uh, and various styles of hives. Wow. 
That's amazing. And I agree with you. I'd be the same way because I garden and have native plants in my front yard. And people brought up when I was putting those in, getting rid of what's before, of using pesticides. And Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I can't do it that way. Mm -hmm. I can totally relate. That just doesn't make sense to me. So I'd rather go and learn more because it is difficult to do things naturally with the pressures of temperature changes and pests and invasive species and disease and forage for the bees, for example. And so it becomes more complex if you want to do things naturally rather than throwing chemicals at the insects or at the plants. And so it's just a little bit more challenging, but it's also more rewarding. Because that first hive that I had set up in my yard ended up lasting eight years. And I have another one, same thing, never treated, never inspected, never fed, never did anything with them. And they lasted eight years, which is the testament to the resiliency of the animal. And when you allow them to follow the cycles of nature and allow them to do what they do best themselves. Yes. We touched upon a little earlier of some of the different organizations that you're involved with. Let's get into those a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, I was the director for the Texas Beekeepers Association, which is a statewide organization, which is above all the other associations. It's not really a hierarchy, but they encompass more generally all of the beekeepers in Texas and a lot of people just rely on them for information, support, and also for any kind of efforts with the legislature in Texas and things like ag valuations, for example, using honeybees as a qualifying activity gets a lot of traction. It also supports commercial beekeepers in the state of Texas. A lot of commercial beekeepers go and do pollination contracts in California and elsewhere throughout the late winter, early spring and then they bring them back to different pollination areas and overwinter a lot of them in Texas after that when it's over. So there's a lot of commercial beekeeping that's using the warmth and the climate of Texas to offer their bees a reprieve in the winter, right? Because they work hard the rest of the time. There's also a whole lot of backyard beekeepers. I don't know if you know that, Aaron, but 4% of the beekeepers in the United States, and it's true in Texas as well, are backyard beekeepers, not commercial beekeepers. There's only 1% of the beekeepers in the United States commercial of nature, meaning over a thousand colonies that they typically move around. Backyard beekeepers are more static. They don't move their hives and they have typically anywhere from one to 20, 30. That's pretty high for backyard setups. And then you have an intermediate breakdown of the group, which is uh, sideliners, the ones that have anywhere between 30, 50 to almost a thousand. And they do that usually for our business as well as the commercial beekeepers too. Backyard beekeepers don't usually do this for any other reason than their own enjoyment or honey production or very, very small scale honey gifting or maybe a little bit of selling of their products. So that's the Texas Beekeepers Association. Now, I also was the chairman of the board for the Real Texas Honey and I'm now a director I decided I couldn't be that involved this year, so I stepped down from my chairmanship. But that's a program that basically has a little bit of a vetting process to certify that your honey is truly produced in Texas. We talked about commercial and migratory beekeeping which transports beehives to various states. The Real Texas Honey Program provides a sticker of authenticity as being really produced in Texas with nectar from Texas. And so that's the way for Texas 
producing beekeepers to differentiate themselves from the rest of the beekeepers, especially when it comes to honey. There's a lot of competition in the world of honey. There's also a whole lot of shenanigans going on, including a lot of imports from countries that don't follow the rules. And I don't know if you know that, but a lot of the honey at the grocery store, maybe like 80% of it, and don't quote me on that, this is my estimate, is not really honey or has very little honey in the bottles. A lot of it is mixed with sugar syrup, rice syrup, high fructose corn syrup, and comes from countries that don't have the same regulations necessarily. So there was a scandal a while back where there was honey imported from countries that were using antibiotics that were really toxic and carcinogenic products. So a lot of that gets imported in bulk and packed in barrels and then broken down retail-wise and maybe mixed with other products. So there's a lot of things that you need to know when you purchase your honey. And that's why we recommend either in Texas looking for the label for the Real Texas Honey or knowing your beekeeper and asking the right questions as well if you care about what's in the beehives and in your honey. You might want to ask them what they use for treating their colonies. And if they answer, they'll usually be very proud of the (laughs) pesticides that they're putting in their hives. And they might also tell you that it's an organic product like oxalic acid. That's a big standard right now. But I like to remind consumers that organic doesn't necessarily mean safe, right? So, for example, DDT was organic. Organic means has a carbon atom in the product. Whether it's natural or whether it's man-made, it has a carbon atom. So DDT, I think there's naphthalene, I forget which other, the active ingredient in Agent Orange is organic. It doesn't mean it's necessarily good for you. And in the case of oxalic acid, for example, and I know I'm getting a little technical, but it's super concentrated caustic acid substance that the goal is to kill a pest on the back of an insect, right? So there's some damage left over for the honeybees. It's just not as lethal to them as it is to the pest. So all that also is part of my crusade to inform consumers of what's in their honey and to be discerning in what they purchase and supporting their local beekeepers is important. So those are the two actual associations that I've recently been involved with. I was the president of the Hayes County Beekeepers Association and the president of the Travis County Beekeepers Association. I've always believed that being involved in your community is very important to give back, to educate the public and do some community outreach. So I also created the HCBA Youth Scholarship Program, for example, that's training young generations in the art of natural beekeeping, particularly in horizontal hives, which are more inclusive. And I use those as well in several programs that are targeting underserved communities like the Congolese refugee community in Houston through the Shambaya Amani Farm of Peace, which helps refugees from the Democratic Republic of the Congo grow vegetables from their country so that they can cook their traditional meals. But also we help them set up a very thriving apiary, a teaching apiary, but also a production apiary. And the apiary donated hives there, helped them get the bees, trained the initial beekeepers there. And I'm keeping up with that by having a trainer program. I get their beekeepers, the ones that are going to train the new generations of women and children in the beekeeping come and attend our apprenticeships free of charge because we really want to make sure that they've got the right training 
And so they come to Austin once a month and get trained with our community of apprentices, which also creates connections and a community that's diverse and can rely on each other. So that's my passion. I also did that in 2019. I spent the best part of the year right before COVID. It was probably almost six months altogether. I was hired by the Congolese government in the Republic of the Congo, which is a smaller country next to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And the government hired me to design and lead the countrywide beekeeping training programs for the trade schools, the farming schools. So I got to travel the country quite a bit investigating what was on ground and what was needed. And then I set up a teaching apiary in Brazzaville, the capital, and was starting to train a group of 30 women and youth in beekeeping when COVID hit. So I had to go home and that got squashed by the pressure of the lack of funding and other priorities. Obviously, people were fighting for their lives over there. But I'm still wanting to do a whole lot of that. So I enlisted with Winrock, which is another fantastic organization, a nonprofit that helps communities in the developing world create farming opportunities and beekeeping is a farming activity. So I worked with the Cameroonese refugees at the border with Nigeria. I did that remotely via Zoom. I couldn't go because it was still under COVID lockdown, but I was thrilled to train about 30 more women. It was a fantastic week of intensive beekeeping. They built barrel hives, which are another kind of horizontal tabar hive, and had that project going there for a bit. So I'm very excited by community outreach projects, especially for underserved communities, because I think that it shouldn't be an activity that's kept for people that have money or physical abilities that not everybody has. And I'm trying to be mindful, (laughs) again, of trying to be inclusive and supporting people, basically to create a source of dignified income, so to decrease the cost to entry for people. So that's why I'm so involved with the horizontal frameless taba hives because these can be made with reclaimed wood. And if you don't have reclaimed wood, even if you're buying the supplies, you can make those in the US for 40, 50 baht fairly easily in less than two hours. You can use all kinds of materials, including barrels, mud, wicker, bamboo, all kinds of things, because their configuration is very forgiving. So anyway, you can get me talking forever about all this stuff. So what else do you want to know? (laughs) Yes, well, you lead into... What I also was going to ask about as you talk about helping the underserved communities, which I think is very important. Real food should not be a privilege. Everybody should have access to it. So you talk about helping them with the horizontal beekeeping, Mm -hmm. which I know is the topic of your Wise Traditions presentation. So let's get into that now. Okay. Well, the actual title is Easy Horizontal Beekeeping to Source Your Own Unfiltered Raw Honey and Other Products of the Hive. And so the goal is to show people that they can do that at their own backyard level and small scale level to know what's in their honey, but also to mindfully raise those bees and just switch the narrative to a more bee-centric approach. But it's also a way to create a source of dignified income when you can harvest the products of the hive, which doesn't stop at honey. You can make liquid honey, which is what most people think of when they think beekeeping and harvesting. But you can also make things like comb honey, which is very prized and can sell for a lot more. So I'm talking in the presentation about return on investment and uh, smart ways to make your products go further and create more value, right? So comb honey 
is one way to do this. You don't have to own an extractor, by the way, which is expensive. You don't have to have tons of supers uh, boxes that you remove after and have to store the traditional beehives that you see the ubiquitous boxy looking hives that are getting transported across the country. They're called Langstroth hives. Very, very expensive. A full setup can cost well over 200 bucks, if not closer to $300. And those boxes that you use for honey harvesting are stored off season, which is in most areas stored off the highs for eight to 10 months out of the year, right? So now you have expensive hives. You cannot make them yourself easily because they require a lot of precision woodworking and milling and all kinds of things. They would take forever to make and they're costly, right? So outside of the hive, you have those extractors and all that stuff adds up really fast. So with the horizontal beekeeping, you don't have to do that because the comb honey in this instance, for example, you can cut it right off the bar and put the bar right back in the box. You don't have to store any boxes or anything. Everything is in the hive. Then you have that beautiful comb honey that I always tell people, you've never tried honey until you've tried comb honey. It's just a completely different texture and experience. It's just an explosion of flavors and it's just fascinating. Plus, you know that it's coming directly from a beehive, right? Liquid honey is easy to adulterate, which is not the case with comb honey. It has to come directly from your beehives. So that's another product. The intermediate product is a mix of liquid honey and comb honey. So you can just make that as well. And what's important to remember is if I can sell a pound of honey for let's say $15 a pound, the comb honey will sell for at least twice as much. A little square of comb honey, I can sell it for $45, which is very profitable if you want to do that. We don't really sell a whole lot of honey. We work on ag services mostly. That's how we make our money. But that could be a really good source of income for people. That's not stressful for the bees as much as pushing them to produce a ton of honey. And the chunk honey would be like factor of one and a half compared to the liquid honey. So there's that. And then when you do liquid honey in a frameless hive like this foundationless hive, you get a lot of beeswax. Beeswax sells for even more money and goes a lot further to make things like doves and bombs and chapsticks and those beeswax wood wraps, all kinds of things. You can do candles, obviously. And knowing that your hives were managed organically without using any pesticides, now you have a product that's more prized as well that can be marketed as such if you want to. But it's actually much cleaner than if you had put pesticides in the hive. So there's all kinds of things that go into this. There's also propolis. You can use propolis to make tinctures, to make basically healing salves and things because it has a lot of healing properties. It's antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal. That's what the bees use in their brood's nest to keep the hive healthy and clean and sanitized. And it comes from sap from trees. They collect that and they bring it back to the hives. And they use that to seal cracks and crevices, but cover the entire inside of their nest to keep it clean and healthy. So we can leverage that as well. There's a lot of things you can do. Honeys have different levels of bioactivity, meaning they can be used also for wound healing as a preservative. It used to be used as a preservative because it has a very low pH, it's acidic, and it's got hydrogen peroxide and a low water content. So it's basically naturally resistant to spoilage and microbial growth, right? So that's why it was used as a preservative for the longest time. And it's 
great for wound healing. So you'll have a little cut and you'll heal a lot faster with less scars. That for burn victims in some hospitals because it promotes tissue regeneration and it helps prevent infection. So there's all kinds of things that you can do with products of the hive. And bees, you can also sell colonies, you can sell queens, you can do all kinds of things. And educating communities, especially underserved communities, potential for incineration, but also for their own use, for their own families. That was the goal in Africa for women, especially, to be able to contribute and have their own income. And when crops were off-season, they could still generate food because they could have the honey and they could also, believe it or not, eat some brood if needed as a source of protein or bee brood product in the hive. That's amazing. That's a probiotic. It's got amazing properties as well, minerals, antioxidants, amino acids, all kinds of things. So it's just amazing what is in the beehives and what the bees do. Collecting only nectar and pollen from flowers. I think that's probably the only animal on the planet that gives back more to the environment than it takes. They're basically vegetarian wasps, right? So they don't eat any other animals or anything like that. They just leverage the plants. And by that symbiotic relationship that they have with the flowers that has been developed over 100 million of years, they provide help to those plants. That means if you have honeybees or of course other native pollinators can help as well, but if you have honeybees, they will help pollinate all crops, whether it's vegetables that are needing that flower, beans and nuts that use pollinators to transfer the pollen from the male parts of the flowers to the female parts of the flower to set fruits, right? And so production is going to be increased by an average of 50% and your fruits and vegetables will be healthier, bigger, and will be more able to reseed, right? So pit from a apricot that's been pollinated by honeybees will be more viable and more able to come to grow another tree in the future. So that's absolutely fascinating, the power of the honeybees. Yes, it's amazing the power that they have. I know another part of your presentation, as you had mentioned, the title is about unfiltered raw honey. Why is unfiltered raw honey important when raising bees? So let's break it down. We have unfiltered raw honey and unfiltered basically you have processes out in the world of liquid honey which filters honeys to remove a lot of the pollen from the honey so it doesn't crystallize and when the motifs are a little bit more nefarious so that people cannot tell which uh, country of origin it is from, right? So that process is basically heating the honey and force pushing it through humus-like stones that are filtering out a micron level or very small level. And it's very denaturing to the honey. First, it gets heated. And when honey gets heated, and that ties into the raw things, when honey gets heated, it lost a lot of its properties. Remember, we talked about antioxidants and very beneficial things in the honey that gets lost once it gets heated a little bit over 100. So bees keep their birds' nests when there's babies around 95 Fahrenheit. And when the honey is stored above their heads, usually it doesn't get heated much more than that or potentially in warm climates to like 100, 105, but the bees cool their hives. So it doesn't really get heated. And so if you want to preserve the beneficial 
properties of honey and the bioactivity in the honey, it's best to not get it heated above those temperatures, which technical filtering will go way above that. The other reason honey producers will heat their honey is to keep it liquid because honey that's kept at lower temperatures will tend to crystallize over time. And some honeys will crystallize faster than others due to the breakdown of fructose and glucose in the honey. And so a lot of people think that honey should be always liquid, but naturally it will crystallize over time. And heating it up prevents it from crystallizing, but it's a trade-off because now you're losing some of those beneficial properties of the honey and it can even denature it to a point that it's not good for you because first, the taste, which is amazing, it has a lot more complexity and natural flavors than other sweeteners. It comes in so many flavors and have so much complexity, it's amazing. But you might potentially, if you heat it for long periods of times or too hot, create toxic chemicals called HMFs and it's for hydromethylferferol, which is a mouthful, but it's toxic to bees and it's toxic to humans. So we don't want that. We don't want a big tanker of imported honey sitting in the Texas sun over time because that's going to be bad for the honey and you're going to get a subpar product that's not going to have the beneficial properties you were expecting from the raw honey that you could get from other sources. Yes. On my blog, I only recommend raw, unfiltered honey. Very important to know when selecting honey. And I know another problem that some honeys have is that the bees are fed sugar syrup to them. What do you see as the problem when this occurs? Yes. Okay. Huh. You want to make me talk, right? <laughs> so much to unpack in each of your questions. So here's what the general process in the industry is. Beekeepers will feed sugar syrup to brood up their colony so they can produce more honey. And they feed them sugar syrup to make up for that so that they can overwinter because the bees will need source of carbohydrates for winter. That's why they hoard all that nectar and they work so hard to bring it in and transform it into honey so that they have a stash for the winter to stay warm. But Sugar syrup, just like soda, is not good for us. It's got no minerals, vitamins, enzymes, amino acids, antioxidants, none of that, right? So in moderation, and if they're in a starvation mode, it will save them, but it's not really good for them, right? So we recommend usually if you're going to have an emergency where there's no food whatsoever for them to have, or they're looking like they're starving, then by all means, it's your decision to provide emergency feeding sugar syrup. But there's a lot of beekeepers out there that say not good for their guts, and it's actually not good for the colony at all. So they don't even want to do that. The other risk associated with sugar syrup feeding is that you can produce funny honey, meaning the bees will process it and pack it into the cells and cap it just like if they had processed nectar, right? And at that point, you've got sugar syrup, honey testing sugar syrup in those cells. It is not any better than what you would find in an adulterated honey bottle on the grocery shelves. And it can happen even much later than when fed the sugar syrup in the spring. And when you harvest months later, you can still have some of that sugar syrup. It can taint your honey harvest. So much so that actually people that have been disqualified at the Texas Beekeepers Association hosts honey judging competition every year during their annual convention. And people compete for the quality of their honey and submit samples. 
and I know people that have been disqualified because their honey contains sugar syrup and they didn't know and they hadn't fed sugar syrup in months. But the bees will move it and keep it stored and that can contaminate the honey that you're possibly eating in the end. So that's another issue with the sugar syrup. We've talked a lot about the things not to do with beekeeping, such as pesticides, sugar syrup, heating the honey. So now I'd like to get into what's good about honey. You talked earlier about backyard beekeepers. I didn't actually realize there were as many as you mentioned, because I certainly know that there are some, in fact, there's some in my neighborhood. And I know that a lot of the small honey companies, they start as backyard beekeepers. The ones that I see at farmer's markets, they started simply by doing that. Yes. And so this is all examples of buying local mm-hmm. honey. Would you recommend that people buy honey which is local to them? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Let me bring up this point. You will find local honey and people selling local honey from their backyard and that's truly local and i encourage you to support backyard beekeepers that are doing that or small scale operations that are doing that because you're probably more likely to get bona fide unfiltered raw honey if you ask the right questions you can make sure that it does they don't use pesticides in the hives as well i recommend asking for treatment free honey if you can because that supposedly means they're not using any kind of treatments pesticides in the hive to help them against the pests you can ask does it have any oxalic acid do you use oxalic acid do you use formic acid do you use apigard apivar there's all kinds of chemical treatments ask those questions to your beekeeper ask them which area those honeybees were set up to gather nectar. Is it in your very direct vicinity? Is it a little bit further out? Do they buy honey from other bigger beekeepers to repack and resell? That happens a lot as well. And that's what I wanted to caution our listeners against is that when you go to a farmer's market, you might very well have local beekeepers selling their products, but you also have a lot of beekeepers that might not be necessarily very large scale, but that are buying some of that bulk honey. You don't know where it's coming from. It might have been mixed with other things and you want to make sure you ask those questions. Is this your honey from your hives? Because otherwise you might have honey that's not from them. They're just reselling it, right? So ask those questions and be informed and let your friends and family know about these things because it's not something that's common knowledge. All very good points to bring up. I think there should be a checklist of things which you want to ask the local farmers. Mm -hmm. You touched upon earlier about honey as natural sweetener. So now I'd like to get into what you see as the advantages of honey as a natural sweetener compared to both regular sugar and other natural sweeteners. Well, that's a great question. And I think we talked about a little bit of the fact that it's more sweet than sugar. So a little bit goes a long way, basically. And that means you don't need as much sweetener because it packs a lot more flavor and sweetness than other sweeteners, right? And because it contains all those goodies, the vitamins, the enzymes, the minerals, antioxidants, and amino acids, it's a lot better for your body, basically. But also it has a lower glycemic index. And what that means is that it raises your blood sugar levels much slower than other sweeteners, like sugar, for example. And that means that it's less of a problem with medical issues to both trigger them and when you already have them, like diabetes, right? So honey is full of calories still. So you don't want to consume a huge amount of honeys throughout your day because it's still going to make you gain weight. But it's 
not going to have the same negative impact on your blood sugar levels and how fast they spike, basically. From that standpoint, it's a better alternative, much healthier alternative than sugar, for example. And you can even bake with it, but I don't really recommend baking with it for the reasons that we talked about earlier, which was temperature and honey don't really mix very well. So you might be mindful of what could happen to your honey quality once you cook it. Yeah, so what I would recommend is not eating much more than six teaspoons per day for females and nine teaspoons per day for males. Obviously, I do not respect that <laughs> because I love honey and that's why I like to stash it and hoard it for myself. I don't like to sell it because I eat a lot of honey, but you have to be careful to not eat too much because you could get weight and it could be bad for blood sugar levels if you overdo it. Now, there's a book called The Honey Revolution that I really like that talks about properties of honey that are more medicinal in nature. For example, if my memory serves me right, it talks about how when you go to sleep, for example, your organs go through the sugar in your blood in priority and your brain is the last one to get it, right? So it gets starved of those sugars that it needs to regenerate. And when I mean sugars, I don't mean white table sugar, I mean sugars in your blood. And honey will bypass the blood-brain barrier and feed your brains directly without getting hijacked by your organs, which means there's some research that points to the fact that it can help neurological issues such as Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or things like that because it's going to feed your brains better. So what I do, for example, is I take a couple of teaspoons of raw unfiltered honey <laughs> before I go to bed. And it actually also helps me sleep better. But going on to the medicinal properties of honey that have been known for thousands of years, that's been used in ancient Egypt, in China, in all kinds of very ancient cultures, it also will help you with various things. For example, I'll tell you what I do. I'm not a doctor. I recommend you do your research before you do any of this, obviously. But it works for me very well. If I have strep throat, and it's happened in the past, I will mix half raw unfiltered honey with raw apple cider vinegar and use that on a regular basis throughout the day, take a teaspoon at a time to coat my throat and use those antibacterial, antimicrobial, antiviral properties to get rid of my strep throat. And I don't take antibiotics thanks to that. So again, I recommend you ask your doctors and I'm not a doctor, I'm not giving you medical advice, I'm telling you what works for me. But I also do that if I've had pink eye before because I work with kids sometimes and things happen and I will use half honey and that works really, really well as well. The milk will be very soothing to my eye and the honey will have all those properties that get rid of the problem. All kinds of things that can help with stomach issues, all kinds of things. So I just recently was elected as the apprenticeship provider of choice for UTSA, UT San Antonio with Dr. Osterk, who's a prominent researcher that's looking into bioactivity of honeys. And we're talking about all the things that honey can do. And I highly recommend, he was at Epimondia recently, presented there. He's got wonderful presentations and talks about all that much better than I could ever do. But there's so much that honey has to offer in terms of medicinal properties that you can use at home for your natural remedies. And I think that's great to know. I think so too. So lots of advantages to honey when done right, which we've covered in the program with the different methods. And so obviously you and I, we're aware of the advantages of local raw honey 
And the West Knight Price Foundation is obviously mm -hmm. as that's where I learned about it in the first place. And you're doing this talk with them. Right. As well as the backyard beekeepers and these organizations you're involved with. So obviously we have a number of groups that know about why raw honey is great. But outside of these groups, mm -hmm. do you think people are becoming more aware of the advantages of honey? Yeah, I think that there's always been a fringe of the population that was very aware. I think that with the plight of the bees, which by the way, it's not just the honeybees, it's the native bees and other pollinators that are at stake even more so than the honeybees because beekeepers can take care of them and make sure that we can recover the numbers and all that. But the native bees don't get a lot of research and help. So that's something I wanted to bring up real quick. If you want to help bees, look into saving native pollinators, cut back on pesticides in your gardens, inform your neighbors, buy local honey from your local beekeepers, plant, 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 plant trees and that will feed those native pollinators because they suffer from a disappearance of their forage and that's kind of a in habitat so that's really what they need the most from us but yeah the beekeepers associations are working really hard to try to educate the public on the properties of honey dr osterk's fantastic the foundation that you work with is amazing the whole wise tradition conference focuses on topics like that and i think we need more of that to sensibilize the public but i think that's coming i think that people are more and more aware of the plight of the bees and by extension are more receptive to the importance of clean honey and how they can use that for natural remedies and how they need to be discerning in their purchases when they buy honey basically there's been some research as well that was published a few years back where they were talking about that whole problem with the grocery store honeys and what was in those bottles. And I think very useful in making those points with the general public as well. People are more discerning now, I think, than they were 10 years ago. I think so, too. I think that's a great note to end on. Before we go, let the listeners know where they can go online to learn more about what you do. Oh, thank you. Yes, my website is b-mindful.com. I work with a gentleman named Les Crowder and we do all kinds of things. We have free plans on our website to make those horizontal frameless hives that are bee-centric, which can produce a lot of and all that stuff. And again, they're very easy to make. It's basically a trough, it's 50 bucks worth of materials and you can make a living with that too. So just keep that in mind. And we do education. We have an apprenticeship that we do once a month so if you're not too far, we get people coming from three hours away every month on the first Saturday of the month. But we also do intensive workshops where we are mindful of people that are in the country that cannot come once a month. So we decided to create a program that's allowing them to come for either three full days or two days or even one day if they don't have that much time to learn how to do natural bee-centric beekeeping, to learn about the bees, to learn about those horizontal frameless hives, to learn a little bit about honey and maybe get addicted <laughs> because I'm warning you all if you get started with one hive very often you get addicted and end up with a lot more and becomes a very intensive hobby and potentially a source of income and a full-time job if you are really passionate great that's a great call to action for our listeners to get more involved and learn more about beekeeping let's hear the address for be mindful one more time b e e b 
Mindful.com. And any places on social media you'd like to let the listeners know about? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Our Instagram is Be Mindful Honey Farms, in one word, Be Mindful Honey Farms. And we have a YouTube channel, Be Mindful. And we're trying to do a whole lot of free education on there. So follow us, support us, and help us broadcast the message of natural beekeeping for all, basically, and also what that means to protect our bees. Thank you so much for coming on the program. This has been great. And I know that you're going to give a great talk at Wise Traditions in a few days. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to it. And if you guys come and find me, I would love to talk to you. And I'm always happy to answer questions via email as well. So just get on our website and contact me. I can talk your ear out about <laughs> everything, honeybees and honey and everything like that. Yes, I'll be glad to meet up with you at the conference. Same here, Aaron. I'm really looking forward to meeting you in person. Me too. So I thank you. And I thank all of my guests for the Wise Traditions speaker series. I look forward to the talk Natalie will be giving in a few days, plus the talks from my previous guests, Corey Dunn and Alex Miller, and all of the other speakers at the Wise Traditions conference. That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. New episodes of the show are released every Wednesday. Follow me on social media for more information on the next episode. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, Subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore on your favorite podcast site or app. You can also listen to all of my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find recipes from the guests I interview, plus all of my articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed. <laughs>